It is the Power 5 Fight. George Reister here with Jawad Powers as usual. Welcome to the best damn college football podcast in all the land presented by the Unafraid Show. Make sure that you please share the Power 5 Fight with a friend. Tell them they can listen to it wherever they want to listen to it. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you want to listen to it. The Power 5 Fight is available. We, um, you guys, make sure you guys check out past episodes and all that and drop us a line. If you have anything you want to talk about, you're mad, you're upset, you're happy, send it to I'm mad, I-M-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com. We got a couple really good topics up for you guys today. Thank you guys for listening. First thing, we're going to talk about the top five college football jobs. All the jobs in America, the top five jobs. We're going to talk about Jared Lorenzen. Young man passed away at the tender age of 38. And that like touched my heart because I'm 38 years old too. I, I lived through watching Jared Lorenzen. Uh, he never was on the field. I never played against him in college, but in the NFL, he was part of the Giants when I was in the NFL as well. So it, it he... Like I lived through the hefty lefty big guy quarterback, the whole thing. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And Urban Meyer has started a podcast. <laughs> well, he's joining a podcast, actually. He's joining a podcast with his friend Tim Kite. It's called the Focus Three Podcast. And it's going to talk about discussions about how to build elite leadership culture and behavior in teams and organizations oh god there's a lot to unpack there right <laughs> right Gerard? yeah that's funny no nah, that's that's hilarious that's typical urban style too shocking the world <laughs> shocking the world man the hypocrisy does not shock the world but we'll get to that in just a minute um first draw i want to know of all the jobs in college football out of all the jobs in all the land what are the best five jobs in college football? I mean, there's some good jobs out there uh, for sure, but for my top five best jobs in football, and when I when I say best jobs, I'm saying that like like we talked about earlier, programs to where you can come in there when they're on probation, you can still win, you can still recruit, you got a strong support staff, the alumni is there, the money is there, the facilities, they do everything they can possible to make sure the football program is where it needs to be. And I'm going to start with Texas. I think Texas football, the money down there in the state of Texas and how they care about, you know, football and, and the things of that nature, Texas is up there on my list is one of the best jobs in the country. Bama is up there is one of the best jobs in the country. Uh, I like Oklahoma is one of those best jobs. And uh, Notre Dame and Ohio State, I think. Uh, I know I'm missing some. I mean, you can say SC, uh, a couple other schools. But uh, I think those five right there um, is, is five of the best jobs that you can possibly get as a head football coach in college football. Oh, I definitely agree that some of those are, but my my list differs just a little bit. Because when I look at the best college football program, the best college football jobs, I'm saying, all right, yep, facilities, money, fan support, all of these things are like crucial. Like they are big time. But I think that these things change over time in terms of who are the top five jobs. 
But overall, I think that you have to look at can to be a top five job. I think that you have to be able to, to recruit even in adversity. Like you look even at what USC was able to do, still pulling top five recruits when they were on probation. Clay Helton may get fired this year. Dude still lining up to go to USC. You got yeah. uh, like Texas. Like you said, they are all in it. Alabama came back from the brink of of what people thought they would never be able to come back from after they got on probation. Nope, come back, no problem. Get a good coach in. People still want that job. But yep. I think for me, it changes a little bit, uh, you know, as the landscape of the world changes. So where, you know, Notre Dame used to be one of the top five jobs, Florida State might have thought to be a top five job for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think the top five jobs right now have to be Alabama. Just off the simple fact that if you win at, at Alabama, they do unbelievable things. Like Urban um, Nick Saban bought a house. He's getting paid buku money. The boosters then, after he won a national championship, bought his house from him for more than he paid for it and then lets him live in it for free. And they pay the property tax on it. And then they pay him like $9 million a year, bro. Like, that is commitment. And then, they, then they set up the Mercedes dealership for him. He has a, his own Mercedes dealership about 20 minutes outside of Tuscaloosa. So they got they got Nick Saban in a situation where if you leave, you're going to have to give him a big deal to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when people were talking about him going to Texas, do you realize what they would have to do? Dude, the state of Alabama now, would go bankrupt before they let him leave. I know, and they would go bankrupt trying to keep keep up with Texas money because Texas would have kept raising that price up <laughs> until they got him. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. I mean, because there are a lot of Texas boosters that would that would you know do that as well. And the funny part about Texas is is that he, I would definitely say that Texas is one of the top five jobs only because like yeah, they no are. Like their boosters are committed. Like they are committed. They're willing to go to distance. They're willing to pay buyouts. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And yep. The, and, and that program is just it's just like it's weird because it, it hasn't been as great as people think in their mind. Like in terms of as many national championships as somebody like Oklahoma, USC, uh right. even Alabama, all of this, like they haven't had that level of success. I mean, they've only won once. I mean, in recent memory, that's when uh, that's when you have Bench Young, Bench Young, yeah, Mac Brown, and so they haven't won recently. So, like, that's not you know what you think of when you think of Texas, but it's still one of the top five jobs. A job that I had to throw off the top five list that you had on the list, even though it's still a destination job, is Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And that's only because of late. Yes, they have gotten to the college football bowl, but I think that there's a little bit of people are starting to turn on Notre Dame a little bit without their conference championship because they have not been success- successful in the big games despite playing playing a tough schedule. The team that I'm going to replace them with is Texas A&M. Uh, yeah, and, um, yeah. Yeah, like they, they don't have the longevity of, you know, like the history of winning on the same level as, you know, the Alabamas, the Texases. But this is a team who has shown a commitment to winning. 
Like, and I didn't know they had that kind of money until they ponied up seventy million dollars <laughs> to to get uh, Jimbo Fisher from Florida State. Yeah, I knew. Uh, I kind of you kind of hear stories uh, in the SEC about you know what certain schools are doing and what they got and you know the improvements they're trying to do for this and this and uh, Texas A and M. Like you said, I don't think people realize the money that that school has. Like they're really they're they're committed to that football program, just like the state of Texas should be, and just like the school, the other school in the state of Texas, the University of Texas is. You know that they're, they're going to go all out for their football program because, I mean, that's just how it's brought up in Texas, and that's what it's about. You know, and uh, like you said, when they when they coughed up that seventy million, seventy five million for Jimbo, I mean, it had the whole world looking like, oh, like what do I need to do to start coaching? Do I need to get in if if I'm a, <laughs> if I got a chance to get that type of money let me let me get in and uh you know tell some kids to run a few plays here and there i remember when jimbo was getting ready to leave that noise started like i knew some people there and they were like jimbo's gone he's not recruiting all of this stuff he's leaving but the the thought that somebody would pay that big of a a premium in terms of a buyout his buyout at Florida state and then give right. him a totally pretty much guaranteed contract for that much money. I was like, there's no way there's no way. <laughs> oh boy. I was wrong right there, buddy. That was a cold take. Um, I got uh, also, is Jimbo I, still the highest paid coach? Did somebody eclipse that or is he no. still the, no, no, no. Um, Nick, Nick Saban Nick is back. Raised, the high, right. Yeah, 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 that's what I thought. Yeah, they yeah, will keep Nick's, Nick in the number race. one spot. Um, <laughs> you got Oklahoma. Uh, I like Oklahoma in the top five, too, because they have been able to win decade after decade after decade, no matter who the Just coach consistent. is. Yeah, yep. I mean, uh, Bob Stoops, who had tremendous success, even though people thought he, you know, his team collapsed in some big games, but you can't win them, win them all. He leaves – Lincoln Riley steps right in. No problem. No problem. We're actually we're actually going we're actually getting better. Yeah. And yeah. Um and another so if, team if Lincoln if Lincoln no, Riley was to leave Oklahoma, what job would he leave Oklahoma for? Cuz I always said Alabama. I always said if Nick Saban left the le- in the next couple years that that would be the number one tar- target for Alabama. Everybody thinks um uh, Dabo and and Clemson, but I would say Lincoln Riley. But uh, what, what what you think about that? Uh, if he the only way he leaves Oklahoma is to go to the NFL, I don't think he leaves. Yeah. And, and and I think that that's what shows that that's a that that's a top five job. If a guy won't leave <laughs> for any other job, and you know when when you look at it, it'd be different if if Lincoln Riley had played at Alabama, then okay, maybe. But Lincoln Riley is, I think he's part of that young group of coaches. Like I know a few who I played with who are starting to become coordinators or highly uh, regarded position coaches, maybe like a Gerald Alexander at Cal, like a, uh, like the receiver coach at Georgia, uh, 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 yeah, the receiver coach at Georgia, Cortez Hankton. Right. 
like you look at them and they've had t- opportunities to take other jobs. But what they're doing now is they're saying, hold up, instead of jumping around, taking different jobs like coaches used to do, I'll wait until the right opportunity comes because I'm in a good situation. Like they don't see the value in stepping stone jobs as much. That's the same. That's, that's the no go on. I was about to say that that sounds good until that dollar figure is in front of you. you yeah, know, but coaches we'll, they don't leave for the opportunity; they leave for money. So if Bama were to the offer Lincoln some that let's just say Oklahoma can't get him or give him, you don't think that he'll leave for that job? There's nothing Oklahoma can give him that. That's the point is that Al, that Alabama can. There's nothing that Oklahoma can't give him that Alabama can. I mean, he's winning. He's getting. He can't recruit better at Alabama than he can at Oklahoma. He yes, may he have can. the no, no. He's gonna yes, have. Yes, he can in the South. Yes, he can, <laughs> dude. He's he's consistently one of the top three to five classes, bro. Like it doesn't get too much know. better than that. Like you you and he and he's getting the best quarterbacks. He's getting. I mean, what more do you want? The what more could I mean, you possibly want? Kyle so Murray you, and uh, Baker Mayfield were transfers. Just far as getting recruits, I know he got one out of Arizona this past year, top quarterback uh, as far as recruiting class. But I don't necessarily remember seeing like Oklahoma always up there, the top three. Like they might be top ten. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but no, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not about, ever seeing. Oh, no. go ahead. They they are they are now under Lincoln Riley. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like they were top ten under Bob Stoops, but they've been top five under Lincoln Riley, which is very impressive. That's the point I'm making. Is why would you leave? I mean, it's like a it's like a three percent better job. It's not like a fifteen percent better. The money's gonna be the same. What are we talking about? Like just bouncing around, just to bounce around. Like legends are built in college football. Like coaching legends aren't built in the NFL. They're built in college football. I mean, Urban left na- Florida to go to Ohio State. Ohio State's a better job than Florida. And also, Urban Meyer was in a situation. Anytime that you say, uh, I, anytime that a guy says who has a job, who says I am retiring to spend more time with my family? I am, and he's still young because he was still in his forties then. <laughs> Anytime somebody in their forties like, oh, I'm retiring to spend more time with my family. Oh, I have a a health concern, and it's not actually like life threatening. You got some bullshit going on in your life, like that, like that. Nah, yeah, you got something going on for sure. But I don't know if I agree with the um. The Oklahoma, he has everything that he needs at Oklahoma that Alabama, like, you know, if Alabama can give him this, Oklahoma can definitely get it to him. I mean, there's a reason why Oklahoma hasn't beaten Alabama in any of the big games. And I don't necessarily think it's coaching. I more so think it's just better players on the Alabama squad. What are you kidding me? Think about it. Like, well, why can't Oklahoma beat Alabama then? Who says... Who says Oklahoma can't beat Alabama? I mean, they haven't in the past years in the big games. Well, Let's they did that one. No, they did they do that one year in uh, New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl. They might have beat Alabama that one yes, year, two thousand thirteen. 
14. Was that Stoops last year? Okay, so in um, 14, in, 15. So in 2014, in the Sugar Bowl, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. They killed Bama. Yeah, they killed him. You're right. They killed him. Oklahoma beat. They beat Alabama in 2014 in the Sugar Bowl, 45-31. And then yeah. in 2003, they beat Oklahoma 20-13. to And then in 2002, they beat them 37-27. Come on, man. Man, 2003, Bama was on probation. And I'm just, I'm just saying, in the last in the last four meetings that Oklahoma has played Alabama, Oklahoma is three and one. That That is my old point. See, that's where we get to thinking, we get to like, oh yeah, Alabama's been so dominant, they beat everybody, and Bob Stoops lost some big games, but he also won a lot of big games as well. No, like, yes, yeah, Bob Stoops is a great coach. He was a great coach, so can't, yeah. can't say nothing bad about that. Yeah, I mean, but but you have teams that have fallen off of this list. Like Nebraska used to be a top five oh, job. For sure, Nebraska was a top five job. Yeah, and now, but with the way that Scott Frost had the team playing at the end of the season, people have this team ranked in the top ten, some top ten, some top fifteens coming into the twenty nineteen season. This could be very interesting. You could see a re- resurgence. But the thing I don't love in college football when it comes to these top five jobs, all of this stuff, and the last job on my top five is USC because they they can recruit through anything. Like even when Clay yep. Helton's going to get fired, everything. I agree. Is Florida in the West Coast, do y'all grow up thinking I want to go to SC? Is that the school? Everybody kind of, you know, if you get that SC offer – that's the that's the big one. It depends on your geography, I would say. Like, okay. like gotcha. there are a couple high schools that put out a lot of players, like Modern Day, Long Modern Beach Day, Poly, yeah. and yep. you have a lot of those kids go to USC. It's almost like a pipeline. Gotcha. But um, there's been a big infiltration of Oregon down in Southern California. A huge, huge, huge. Um, and then the other thing is that there it's weird because as much as so many young kids want to go to USC and a lot of that had to do with Reggie Bush because he was just unbelievable and he just inspired everybody around here. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite college player ever is Reggie Bush. Yeah. Yeah. He's up there on my, my list too. Like he might be number one. He was exciting. Like I was playing no and watching question. him play. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then there is, but then you have some people who have different concerns who wanted to go to UCLA. Like there's a contingent of people that want to go to UCLA, but it's not as big as USC. So that's why UCLA can't be on this list. Uh, Next thing we wanted to get to speaking of USC is Urban Meyer. And the reason why I say speaking of USC is because he's going to be out doing a studio show in LA for Fox during the last hour of college football game day. Fox is starting their own uh, college football morning show to rival college college game day. And it's going to be Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, Urban Meyer, and Brady Quinn. 
That's who's going to be on the show. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm looking at things. I'm like, this is very, very interesting because there's so much speculation about Urban Meyer taking another two years off the same way he did in between the Florida job and the Ohio State job. And now he's, quote unquote, retiring again for personal reasons. And now people think that if Clay Helton gets fired, he may be the coach in waiting. Man, I would I didn't even know where you were going with this. You think Urban Meyer's trying to set him up, set himself up to to step in at SC? I don't see why not. I do not see why not, bro. <laughs> I mean, it's an urban move. I just didn't see that coming. It's it's definitely an urban move. No, no question about it. But now that you bring that up, you know, I might have to keep my eye on that for the rest of the year. Bro, I'm telling that you, it will be hilarious. And he'll already be <laughs> out in LA so he can have so you know he's gonna be seeing people from USC. They're gonna be having backroom private conversations that people won't think are weird because he's actually working for Fox. Think about this, right. bro. He is <laughs> setting this up for the okie doke, buddy. Like, and maybe the PAC 12 needs urban though. Maybe y'all need him. Maybe that's, that's what y'all need to, to, to get that juice back going in the West coast and the PAC 12, man, the PAC 12 urban, a little, uh, a, a, a little dysfunction, but winning and see, you but know, here's like you say, winning cures all. But you're gonna have some dysfunction that comes with it. See, man, I, I don't know if people in California can handle Urban Meyer because, in general, people aren't willing to look. Well, there aren't as many people willing to look the other way just for winning. I mean, okay, and that's why this Urban Meyer podcast is just, it's like rubbing me the wrong way, but then I kind of see some value in it. My my wife and my old broadcast partner on the radio, Brett Winterbull, he used to say, George, you are the defender of all people. Like, you can find good in anybody. And I'm looking at Urban Meyer, and I'm so confused because he announced on Sunday night that he'll co-host a podcast alongside his friend Tim Kite who frequent who frequently spoke to the Buckeyes about leadership and he's uh Urban Meyer said on Twitter that he was joining the Focus 3 podcast and it's going to feature discussions on how to build elite leadership culture and behavior in teams and organizations when I say that to you Gerard how to build elite <laughs> leadership culture and behavior in teams and organizations what is the and you say the name urban meyer what does that like what kind of emotions or thoughts does that evoke in your brain i i, I don't know where he's going with this one like you said every place he's been except bowling green to my not to my knowledge that he didn't have any issues at bowling green I, at least i didn't hear about any but uh when you're talking about leadership and and things of that nature i mean uh, when when he looks at himself he probably looks at himself as a good leader and when he thinks of a good leader he's probably thinking of winning and awards and all that type of stuff which you know he's done that in everywhere he's went uh he's he's won games won the big one won the natty uh you know did all those great things but you know he got a long list of baggage and uh the people that he hired in those leader leadership positions 
or not the the people that I'm guessing he's going to talk about on this podcast on how to build great leadership. So I'm uh, I'm gonna have to wait to that first episode to see exactly what Urban is, uh, what angle he's coming from, because, I mean, it's out there to the world now. You know, the people that he's hired at these leadership positions wasn't, you know, the people that should have been leading, you know, some of these kids or even been around in his program uh, just because of some of the things that come out that they were doing. He always talks about that one of his pillars of everything when he even when he was at Florida was respect for women, treat women with respect and that. Right. And that he has a zero tolerance policy for all of these things. And and. You know, he teaches character and all of this. What I notice is, is that when character is really being taught, emphasized and stressed, then coaches are willing to sacrifice even when it even when it hurts the team. Even when it's not the best right. thing for the team. And we all know that report by Brett McMurphy last year with the domestic violence, with the receivers coach Zach Smith. And how Urban Meyer knew about it. He lied at Big Ten Media Day. And and that's the part that feels so hypocritical to me. Because I'm like, I know that Urban Meyer has knowledge about leadership. He's shown it. He's won everywhere he's gone. He's He knows how to lead coaches. He knows how to lead men. But at the same time, there's some character flaws in there. Because how the hell right. are you going to have up in the Ohio State facility decisions, honesty, treat women with respect, no drugs, stealing, or weapons. But then you clearly, you clearly got up there and lied at media day. You lied on television when people asked you questions. Oh, I didn't know it was my, my medication and this and that. I'm like, if your medication is so damn bad, it makes you forget stuff. How are you a football coach when you have to remember plays? You have to remember, you know, assignments, game plans, all of this stuff. That's why it was an absolute lie, man. And yeah, he did. He did blame it on the medication. That's <laughs> he didn't have any other route to take but the, but to blame it on the medication, man. I, I don't even understand. I'm just so confused. I'm like, okay, how can you, how are we supposed to believe you when you're saying I preach honesty, I preach integrity, all of these things. And the, the core principle of being honest and having integrity is even when something goes wrong on up to it. For for okay. Urban to take this podcast, yeah, yeah. Like you know, you I feel like you know, like he definitely has to have some type of plan in place. Like it's almost a chess move. You know, ever since you brought up the SC thing, you know, I feel like him taking this podcast about leadership and things of that nature, he knew that, you know, fans and, you know, media and everybody will critique him about this because of the past at Florida, the allegations with the players being arrested, the coaches, you know, doing this and that. And then he gets to Ohio State and it was the same same situation. So for him to take a leadership podcast, he had to have known, you know, uh, some of the, the backlash that he's going to get. And I think it might be an opportunity for him to be on a platform to kind of tell his true side of, things that he teach, things that he preaches, things that he believes in to kind of change that narrative a little bit and make it seem like, you know, the decisions that 
you know, the people that I hired and, uh, you know, people getting in trouble in my programs, it wasn't necessarily decisions that I made. It was just decisions based on them, you know, and it maybe separate him from that a little bit. And uh, that's my only I guess that's my only, you know, view or my only way that I can see him taking a podcast, telling people on how to, you know, uh, develop leadership and, and character and, you know, do all these things because, I mean, it's out there plain as day uh, that he didn't do that at the places that he's been in. So, you know, maybe it's just an opportunity for him to change that narrative a little bit, because if that SC job end up, you know, uh, I guess happening for him in the next year, two years, just depending on uh, what happens at SC, at least he can kind of he got some time to change that narrative and hopefully people forget. But <laughs> I think it's definitely a chess move with him. It's not something that he's doing as a favor for anybody. I think it's a, another platform for him to kind of just, you know, separate himself from the baggage that kind of ended his career so far as a college coach. Dude, he's looking at this whole thing that happened at Ohio State like a like a torn ACL, dude. Right. He is he's in rehab right now. He is rehabbing his image. He's getting his strength back up. You know, he's getting his health back together. Then he's ready to go. He's going to say, oh, man, I got the uh, itch again. My family wanted to move out here. Right. My daughters are graduating from college. You know, like now I can do these things. Like, come on, man. If this was about your health and your family, you would not be flying across the country every single week to do a show. You would not be assistant athletic directing, podcast hosting, you know, like, no, like, no, bro, you. bro, you got three jobs. I'm with you. Like, you, like, you, you like don't, your health, you don't your cite your health. can't be too bad if you're traveling across the country like that and you got all these responsibilities as far as job. Yeah, your health can't be you know, that bad to where, you know, you, you felt like, you know, it was a career move for you to step down as a coach um, uh, because of that reason. So, yeah, he definitely has a plan. Um, you know, when he first did it at Florida, everybody thought it was just because of that great class that they had with Tebow, Percy Harvin, and all those guys that they were leaving. And it was kind of like a rebuilding situation that was coming to Florida and uh, when he went to Ohio State, it upset a whole lot of people, especially in uh, like in the SEC world, uh, just because, you know, Florida had that image that they used to have from back in the day when he was there. You know, that that swagger that, you know, they're winning. They're in the BCS this and BCS that and national championships. And then. Uh, yeah, but I, th I think a lot of that started with the with the old ball coach, though. Oh, yeah. Well, with um Spurrier. Yeah. 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 With Steve Spurrier, he was the one who really got. No, I'm saying, but it, it kind of went dead after Spurrier left and Urban kind of. Oh, brought for that sure. That, that's what I mean. Urban brought back what Steve Spurrier had at Florida, like that excitement about Florida football. That's what I mean. Oh, you are 100 percent right about that. You are 100 percent right about that. And, and his hip like. So we're all only talking about the negative about it, but m maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the defender of all people in me. I see, okay, yes, he has led people. He has put out really good coaches who've gone on to do things and all of this. But then I'm like, okay, he had 31 players arrested over six seasons at Florida. So how much is your message of leadership really getting across? Yeah. Where is this greatness that's supposed to be there? But – like, 
his his players like him. They generally say good things about him. So how much of this is Urban Meyer really being a good person and just letting too much stuff slide and just really trying to help people and not wanting to punish people and, you know, having a good heart for somebody wanting to do the right things? I mean, that might be true to an extent, but when you're the leader of an entire organization, there's no sympathy for folks. I mean, at the end of the day, it falls on your lap. So you can't continue to just let things slide, continue to let thing, let people do this or let players do whatever the hell they want. Because, you know, when stuff happens, they're going to ask you why it happened. They're not going to ask that that one particular coach or that 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 student athlete why did he do this or why did he do that you know when you're at the media days they're asking you so if if he has a good heart that's that's great I'm not saying that he don't I mean that might be the case uh but if that is the case he didn't he don't need to be in charge of these these organizations and these programs and uh and 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 leading these people the way that he are because it's just going to continue to you know, have kids arrested. It's gonna. He's gonna continue to to let his assistant coaches do things that they shouldn't do, which is gonna backfire and come back to hurt him, and it's gonna come back to hurt the university, and it's gonna trickle down and hurt the student athletes. Uh, at the end of the day, so he might have a good heart, but all the great coaches that I know, all the great coaches that is in charge of leading people and leading men, it's a fine line that you can cross when it when it comes to you trying to do something and him letting it slide and, or you risking your job because of you trying to do something, you know, good coaches are not going to risk their job uh, just because an assistant was doing this or that. And he's trying to sweep it under the table. They're going to nip that in the bud early. That's the part that that's the part I can't reconcile with, with him talking about leadership because as a, the leader of my family, leader of my own business, right. People who write for me at Unafraid Show, I've had other businesses, all of this, is that you have to be willing to make tough decisions if you are a leader. I, they're not always easy. And you have to be willing to, I agree. you know, to, to do the right thing if you're a good leader for the sake of doing the right thing. And sometimes punishment is what people need. Like sometimes people need to hit rock bottom for them to be helped. I um, I was reading a book the other day, well, an article the other day about bulldozer parenting, about how parents sometimes, and I noticed, I was like, ooh, am I doing this? Bulldozer parenting is when you knock down all the obstacles in front of your kids. You knock them down, right. that way they don't, that way you don't want them to, quote unquote, go through the same things you had to go through, or you don't want them to struggle, or whatever. And that brings me to my story time this week on the Power Five fight with Rob Powers, George Reister. Thank you guys for listening. So my story time this week is pretty personal. Not for my time in the NFL, not for my time in college football. This comes from me being a dad who's coaching my own kid. And it, it is so frustrating. Like I, we had a long conversation, me and my son, about this. So if he listens to this, he will not be surprised that this is being brought up and is how 
uh, sons of professional athletes. I don't know if the same is true for you, Gerard, if your kids aren't old enough yet, but he's a teenager. He's 13. And how difficult it is for them to take advice about sports from their parents. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're, we're at that age now. It is insanity. Like, I was talking to Mitch Richmond. He said the same thing. Was talking to, I mean, other, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Said the same thing about his son in baseball. And I'm like, <laughs> I was. it gave me peace around the situation a little bit because I was like, okay, it's not just me. But I just don't understand because people solicit my help. They solicit these other people's right. help. Like other kids would, other parents and kids would jump at the opportunity to train or get the knowledge that you're trying to impart in your kid. And they're just like that. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, what? <laughs> Man, that, that, that's funny because uh, like, so my son's seven, but is very hip to sports, very mature. Uh, he, like he knows what he's doing. He knows, you know, when to seek help like he he when it comes to sports he's he's very mature for his age um so when it comes to him playing football i try not to coach him at all just off of that simple reason i know he don't want to keep hearing like here goes dad just talking again trying to tell me how to play or trying to tell me what to do so we had a situation when i knew that i i, I just needed to step away uh, as we were training one day i was actually training some high school kids and he always would come up and try to train with them and the high school kids you know how they are they they're very attentive they're trying to soak in every in yep. everything that you tell them just off of the strength of you know you played in the nfl you did this and this like they will literally if i say run through a wall they will try to run through a wall so i'm sitting here telling this one corner on how how to play um, a press man and how to do this and that. So when it was my, when it was turn for my son to come up, like I've already told him some of these things. So I was like, Hey, so you, you remember how to do this? You know how to do that? And he literally just looked at me and was just like, well, you gave up a touchdown to Antonio Brown. So, I mean, what you're telling me is you want me to do the same thing oh. you did, but you gave oh. up a touchdown. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, what in the world is wrong with you? I know but it you was in a way to... it was funny. It was joking. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I wanted to just kick him in his behind a little bit, but uh, you know, it was, it was just one of them things that, uh, you know, kids, they're honest, man. They're, they're, tr they're, I mean, they don't have any filters, you know, kids don't know yet that what, whatever they say maybe is disrespectful or it may be borderline. They shouldn't say this or say that. But when it always come to sports, I always tell my son, you know, whatever's on your mind, I say, you have to be honest about it. I was like, it's the only way coaches can coach you the way they need to coach you. I said, I'd rather for a coach to know where he stands with you and vice versa than for both of y'all trying to figure it out. At least that's the, the little stuff I try to preach to him early. So he he would he would he would sit there and just say exactly what is on, on his mind. Like, oh, so you want me to play it like this? Oh, you got an interception when you did this versus the Falcons, huh? Oh, I remember that play. Like it, it he always goes back to yeah. a play with me when I'm trying to teach him like a technique or or something like that. So when he told me that, like everybody 
everybody thought it was hilarious. And that's when I knew he was hip to the entire game of football. And I was like, you know what? Let me just step back and let him go through his bumps and bruises. And he'll start coming to me for advice instead of me trying to knock down all these obstacles to make it easy for him. I was like, I need I need for him to kind of learn a little bit on his own. So when he uh, faced that one obstacle that he know he can't defeat and he needs some help he'll come he'll come to me then so yeah we're at that age man i'm trying to monitor it and uh trying not to push you know yeah. too much but no that's 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 hilarious Dude, with these kids I, man so we were at the park the other day so he's getting ready for his first tackle football season he's played flag he's played quarterback his whole life so he understands the and i've always talked to him about leadership all of these things and didn't really get too much with the technical stuff with him, but just more some of the mechanics. But now it's transitioning into he's playing at a higher level. He's going to play tackle for the first time, really trying to get him prepared for what's going to happen, make sure right. he's ready, all of these things. So I'm apparently trying to knock down the obstacles for him, you know, because I want him to be successful. And then we're at the park. We're working on some stuff. And this and this dude is just hard headed, and I was just like, "Wow, wow!" So I had already <laughs> in baseball, we had went through a time where he decided he didn't want to work out, and I was trying to force him to go work out because we're paying for travel teams, all of this. And then I was like, "Yeah," so Expensive. I'm like, "Listen, you're gonna come out here and work if you want to play for this travel team. Like, there's no way around it, and do extra work." So then finally. <laughs> Maybe like a year and a half, two years ago, I was like, look, son, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You want to play this travel ball. You're not doing any extra work on the side. Yeah, it's probably about a year and a half ago. So he was like 11 and a half. And I'm like, look, we're forking over big money every month. So if you want to continue this, because I was like, look, I'm not going to force you to go work out anymore. You do not have to do it. I promise you, you, you have other options in life. You do not have to be an athlete. Please don't think that this is the case. However, if I'm spending my $350 a month plus $300 and some odd dollar bats, cleats, all of this other stuff, travel, got to lug the whole family around when they don't want to go to these baseball tournaments and, and you're playing all of this, if we're going to be doing all that, then you got to put in some extra work because, because yep. you want everybody else to sacrifice. Or I can pay my three fifty one time, and you just play in the regular fall league. I'm sorry, the regular spring league. No problem. We'll show up. You don't have to do any extra work. Everybody's happy. I'm not mad about my money situation and lugging everybody else around because I got other kids saying, "Dad, I don't want to go to the baseball game." Well, you know, you don't you don't really have a choice. So you got to make something good out of a bad situation. So, and then. So I got yep. so mad at him at the park. Instead of yelling at him anything, I was like, look, D, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not paying for your 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 quarterback coach. I'm not paying for X, Y, and Z. I'm not paying for any of this. I'm not coming out here to come work with you. I'm not doing it. Until you ask me, till you say, Dad, I need some help, I'm not doing it. And and also and also I'm not knocking down any of these obstacles for you. So you get what you get. If you don't want to work that's that I, I love you. I hope you play, play hard, but that's what I got for you, son. 
That was y'all first man to man situation. Nah, that's huh? probably like that's one of them. Yeah, <laughs> like, they look, they happen every now and then. And <laughs> he looks at me like, "Wow, like like wow, like this is like this is this is not usual." Yeah, exactly. Like, like dad, serious. real serious about this one. <laughs> But I think sometimes, like when it when it comes to like kids in our position, um, when they're you know the sons of fathers who played professional and was successful in in the sport realm of things and in business and all that type of stuff, you know it's kind of that added pressure, just that that pressure that you know like you're only getting this pressure because you're my son. You know if 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 I didn't play professional football, it'd be different. People will look at you maybe a little different. And not expect so much. But, you know, when you see that your kid really wants to play and he has a talent that 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 you see that he has so much potential that he probably don't see and you want to push him like, yeah, let's let's go work. Let's go get this coach to do this. Let's go do that. And then they kind of pull back saying they don't want to do it as a father. It, it almost forces you to just say, all right, go find your way and you will come yep. back and circle back to me when you need me. And uh, that's probably like that situation y'all going through. Like, he's finally like, man, dad's fed up. Like he's not going to continue to pay for this or do this or I'm going to have to play rec league now. I'm not going to do travel ball. If I'm going to do travel, I better start taking a sit. Like it gives him a level of responsibility that like, you know, for the things that I want to do, I better start taking it serious because if dad don't think I'm taking it serious, dad's not going to put, oh, yeah. uh, not going to pay for it. So, you know, it, it, it might, it might've been some that was needed. Yeah. That, and that's when which is people say, good. Oh, don't put pressure on your kids. No, that it's actually good for them to have some pressure. I mean, no question this year, he's going to a private school. So he's going to Sierra Canyon, the same school that uh, if anybody's heard, um, that LeBron's kid is going to and uh Oh, he's gonna he's at that school yeah. with LeBron and uh Shaq's son, right? No, D Wade. D Wade, that's what Zaire. Zaire. Yeah. Zaire. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm sitting here and I'm sitting here thinking, all right, so he's in middle school. This is a this is an extremely expensive school. And I'm sitting here like, okay, son. And mind you, books cost money, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you are there on some sort of uh, scholarship or whatever the hell it is, like, it's still money out of pocket regardless, like in a good chunk of it. And some people are paying full boat, all all of this. And I'm sitting here like, I told him, I said, son, look, I gotta tell you, gotta be honest with you, Everybody is sacrificing for you to be able to go to this school. Everybody. I say it's not like breaking our pockets, but this is money that could be saved, used for vacations, bought for other things. Like we are taking money out of one pot, which affects everybody. Everybody's pot is in one big pot. It's coming out of that pot to go toward you and your dreams of your education. So the thing I'm going to tell you is this, son. This eighth grade year, you get one shot because if you want to go to this, because he's wanted to go to this school for a while. If you mess this up academically, social in any way for your high school year, we will not be paying one dollar under no circumstances. There is no take backs. There's no I'm sorry. There's no I messed ups. 
This is your opportunity. If you want this this bad, you must take advantage of it. And if you don't, it will go away. I promise you this. And people and I told somebody that they were like, oh, my God, don't you think that's a lot of pressure on him? Uh, it probably is some pressure on him. But if you want great things in life, you have to accept some of the pressure. Yeah, you do. I mean, pressure makes diamonds, you know, but it also lets you know, like, all right, I do not want to play this anymore <laughs> uh, as well. But uh, but yeah, you know, I think I think all kids, you know, especially when they get a certain age, they should to have some type of level of responsibility and level of pressure uh, because it's only going to, you know, form the character, form their discipline, you know, the beginning stages of uh, learning how to be committed to something, you know, it's just going to, you know, instill characteristics that, you know, we want them to have anyway. So, yeah, man, you're right. Pressure does make diamonds and it, Hopefully these kids learn before it's too late and they don't mess yeah, up an opportunity. That's our, that, I guess that's our ultimate goal as parents as well. <laughs> Just don't mess up your opportunities. <laughs> the last thing we want to talk about today on the Power 5 fight is a tragic story. It is of Jared Lorenzen. Uh, they call him the hefty lefty. If you remember, he was the big quarterback, the big, big quarterback at Kentucky. Um, got drafted, played for the uh, New York Giants for a quick second, got a Super Bowl ring. He just passed away this past week. And it really touched me in a special way because I remember him. I saw a story on him. He was going to go lose weight. He had ballooned up to over 450 pounds. He was trying to lose weight, get his relationship back with his uh, family back even better. But he was a person who had a very unhealthy relationship with mm -hmm. with food and, you know, had an addiction in that way. And it just like he was 38 years old. It was it touched me because I was a fat kid. Like I was a chubby kid till I got to high school. I mean, I remember a girl that I wanted to date. She told me I, that she wouldn't. I mean, I told her she wanted I wanted her to be my girlfriend. This is like seventh grade. And she was like, I can't be your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You have a double roll jelly belly, a double <laughs> roll jelly belly. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when I got to high school, I ended up six pack, everything like like that. I got to the league and she ended up a singer of uh, like in a singing group that was very popular. And then I saw her and she was like, hey, what's up? I was like, get out of here. I got nothing for you now, lady. And she wanted it, too. I was like, mm -mm, I got oh, nothing man. for you. I'm holding a grudge. <laughs> so what as a person in the SEC, like what did Jared Lorenzo mean in the SEC? And what was you know, what was it like when you watched him play and all of that? Man, I remember uh, when I was in high school and he was at Kentucky, it was Jared Lorenzen. They had a, uh, a white receiver, last name was Cook, and they had another white receiver. Um, I forget his dang name, but they, they probably were the two best white. Like, they, they were punt returners and the kickoff returners as well. That's how good they were. You know, you don't you don't rare, rarely see, like, white returners uh, in, yeah. in football. Uh, but I remember, sure. I remember watching uh, those guys and – uh, just how exciting it was, and and Jared was always a big guy, and like you say, he always had that nickname Hefty Hefty Lefty, 
Uh, but one thing that you couldn't deny about him was one, his will to win. And then two, his arm. He always had like one of the strongest arms around. Um, I remember one story they were talking about how they were at Kentucky and they were having this one camp and it was a lot of big time quarterbacks at this camp. And uh, it was, a, I think, like 30 or 40 yards down the field. They had this one target um, that was lined up for them. And all these guys, and they, they was checking the velocity velocity of the throws. And a lot of guys were hitting like 47 miles an hour and, and around that, that uh, range. And Jared, with, I think, some flip-flops on, uh, gets up there and throws it, didn't even warm up. And I think he threw it like 65 miles an hour and hit it dead on the spot. Uh, and those are the type of stories you always hear about. And uh, and the people that knew him personally that you might know and connect with, you know, they only have tremendous things to say about him. I mean, even with the Super Bowl, you know, you're watching documentaries and you see Eli Manning saying like, yeah, man, if it wasn't from Jared Lorenzen and his drill we had, you know, to where he's kind of tussling and tumbling, uh, trying to break uh, tackles to extend a play. Well, they, they showed that, you know, in practice. And Jared was always the one literally trying to tackle Eli. Like, he, it was a few times he literally tackles Eli, falls on top of him and all that. And then you fast forward and get to the Super Bowl, and Eli damn near got tackled and throws the one pass uh, that I think his name's David Tyreek. Tyree. Yeah, yeah Tyreek. Tyree. The, the one pass that he caught that's, like, legendary – uh, went down in history, and Eli always tributes that to Jared Lorenzen. So uh, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, it was an eye-opener for me because, uh, I mean, you see people, uh, especially football players, after they're done playing, they deal with obesity, they deal with health issues, you know, heart issues, liver issues, and all these things. And uh, just to see that he was in a constant fight with it from day one um, – and uh, just to lose that battle, you know, to 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 uh, you know heart disease and things of that nature because of his weight. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just an eye opener to try to always make sure you get checked up on. Always try to live the live the healthiest lifestyle you can live uh, because you know I'm, I'll be 32 in a few more weeks, and Jared was just 38 years old, six years older than me. So I mean, it, it, it definitely touches touches home because, like you say, he was very open and uh, very adamant about changing his lifestyle and trying to get his weight down and uh, you know become the man that uh, he 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 knew he, that he could become. And you know to see that happen, it was it was very tragic. Oh yeah, and not only do we see big people fall out and die, but we we see young people as well. You know, yeah, for sure. It just puts a premium on going to the doctor, getting checked out. Like I know us men don't like to do it all the time, but thank God I have a wife who, who forces oh, me. No to question, no question, <laughs> dude. I wouldn't go to the doctor half the time. I'd be like, ah, sorry, it'll be, be all right. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my my shoulders out of place right now, but I'll be good in a couple hours. Yeah, and the, and the wife be like, no, you're going to the doctor. <laughs> so um, so we just want to remember Jared Lorenzen. Hopefully his story can inspire even more than it already has to really take care of themselves. I know it inspires me. And um, yeah, and we lost a, a SEC legend and a, you know, a mm -hmm. personality in football that, that will truly be missed. And we have to you know keep keep his family uplift his family uplift his kids uplift his uh you know all the people who were around him who are really affected by this situation yeah for sure all right you guys thank you guys for watching for, for listening to the power five fight 
Make sure that you guys share it with a friend. Tell a friend about the Power Five fight presented by the Unafraid Show, the best damn college football podcast in all the land. Catch you guys next week.